The MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at UnderdogFantasy.com with promo code SGPN and receive a free $25 entry to use in the Best Ball Mania 2 contest for a chance to win a million dollars. That's right, a million dollars. UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. And while you're at it, downloading apps, don't forget to download the SGPN app. We are in the App Store and Google Play Store, so make sure you download that today. Hi, ho DeGenerinos, and welcome to the MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast, episode 56, which we will dedicate to obscure submarine pitcher Darren O'Day, now with the New York Yankees, which I did not know he was even still in the major leagues at this point in time, but he wore number 56 uh, when he pitched for my favorite uh, Atlanta Braves a few years ago. So, uh, shout out to Darren O'Day. Now, uh, who am I that uh, has claimed the Atlanta Braves as his own? I am host of the podcast, Daniel Gumby Vreeland. You usually hear me alongside of, or at least I sit in silence until he introduces me, Arctic Jeff Fox or Juicy J Jeff Fox, depending on which nickname he's going by this week. Uh, but he is again on vacation. So uh, I am taking the reins here. Of course, you may know me otherwise. From the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, where I write, MMA-Manifesto.com, Cage Press. I also host the Top Turtle MMA Podcast in the Prelim Primer on the Top Turtle Network. So you may have seen me in a whole bunch of different places. Now, in order to break down last week's card, I'm going to be joined again, if you listened to me last Sunday, uh, in, in lieu of Jeff Fox on his vacation. You heard the, the soulful tones of, of Kurt Chase Patrick. He's back again this week to help us break down UFC Makachev versus Moises. Again, you can find him on the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben, and of course on Twitter at KCPKO. Kurt, welcome back. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys having me on again. I'm excited to uh, talk fights. Absolutely. Now, uh, just let's talk generally a quickly uh, a quick bit about this card, because it's weird. When we were leading up to this card, and maybe it was just the hype of UFC 64 and the come down from all of that, but I felt like this card was kind of being slighted and kind of being talked about as, as a you know maybe not such a great one. It was originally supposed to be headlined by Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez, so maybe we were feeling pretty bummed out that that never happened. You know, there were a whole bunch of pullouts and, and late scratches, including one really late scratch. Miles Johns and Anderson Dos Santos uh, scratched the morning of. Did you feel like this card wound up being infinitely better than it was hyped as? Uh, I liked it. You know, honestly, and again, maybe, I don't know. I, I kind of I like some of these cards that, that don't seem that great on paper, but usually turn out pretty good. And maybe that's from doing the prelim primer with you. I'm usually more, like, in tune now, nowadays to, like, the undercards and maybe not the biggest names. Um, but, dude, I, I honestly really liked it. And again, I thought the, the top two names on the card, obviously, Islam Makachev and Misha Tate were very intriguing. Misha's been one of my favorite female fighters for a long time. 
Um, then you had some other names sprinkled through, guys that are kind of on the cusp. Um, so yeah, I mean, you had you had some of the hangover. Uh, you lost Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez, obviously, which is going to be a big fight. 264 had the monster names, but overall, I was pretty excited for this card, and it really delivered, just like a lot of these cards with not a lot of big names do. Yeah, and I was I was surprised in so I, I guess you're right. I, I guess I did have faith in this card, and I was excited about certain prospects. There just wasn't any maybe for me. There wasn't like a big fight that made me think like, oh, this is where we're going to figure out something large about this division, right? Like you're right, Misha Tate being in the bantamweight division and actually being a force, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it, it's, it's unveiling a little bit about the bantamweight division and making it a little more exciting. I feel like maybe we didn't learn all that much about Islam Makachev, and maybe I just didn't have hope that we were going to learn anything about him in that time. And then there are a couple of prospecty type people, but a lot of them had like recent losses. Like Rodolfo Vieta, I, I like him a lot, I, I especially as a jiu-jitsu fan, but then like, you know, he had that recent loss to Fluffy Hernandez, and then same with Billy Quarantillo. I, I like Billy Quarantillo a lot, but he was coming off of a loss as well. So, like, yeah, I, I guess you're right. I, I guess as long as you you had a little bit of faith that these prelim guys were going to bounce back or, or lower down in the card guys were going to bounce back, it was always going to be a good card. But I found myself, like, I, I don't think there was one fight in there where I was like, man, this is a bathroom break fight. This is really boring. Um you know, like, no, not at all. Maybe the worst one was Sergey Morozov versus Khalid Taha, and even that was was really fun. Like Morozov's grappling in like clinch takedowns and stuff like that proved to be like really fun to watch. So, um, I, I mean, I guess unless you're one of those people who gets bored watching really good wrestling and really good, you know, like like Greco-Roman wrestling, really, I guess is what he was doing. And unless you get really bored by that, there really wasn't a, a fight on this card that I I found you know not fun to watch. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I thought it was pretty uh, pretty exciting from top to bottom. There was a lot of really um, nice finishes on this card. Uh, and even the two decisions I thought were pretty pretty interesting themselves. Absolutely. So let's get into what brought us to the dance. Let's, let's talk about the actual fights. But before we do, let me tell you a little bit about WinBet. WinBet is bringing you the action of real sports betting from the Win Las Vegas experience. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports games. Generous promos, odds, and parlays are happening right now at WinBet. Get started today, and you'll get a special offer of up to a $500 risk-free sports bet. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. And also, while we're at it, let me tell you a little bit about PropSwap. PropSwap is America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Find the best odds on NBA championship tickets when you buy directly from other sports bettors on PropSwap. See a ticket you like but think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price that you think is fair and buy it. Every ticket purchased on PropSwap can be resold at any time with one click of a button, and PropSwap gives you a suggested price tool to let you know how much your ticket is worth. Last week, a PropSwap customer sold a $500 40-to-1 Phoenix Suns championship ticket for sixteen grand after the Suns went up 2-0 in the finals. Of course, now they're down 2-3 to in the finals, so he may have made out like a bandit. And, of course, that is a 30% return or 30 times turn for the seller. And adjusted odds of negative 400 for the buyer, which maybe doesn't look so good anymore. But at the time, the Suns were negative 500, so he was getting an improvement. And now with PropSwap... That just goes to show you, your bet doesn't need to win in order to make money. It just needs to improve. So think of it like the stock market, but for sports betting, use promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app today. 
All right, so sitting at the top of this card were the lightweights uh, and probably the fight that was getting the most hype, and, and rightfully so, right? It's the headliner for a reason. But also, like, Islam Makachev being billed as the next Habib, uh, being, you know, trained by Habib now, being trained by Habib's dad prior. He comes into this fight, his first main event, um, and he pretty much does exactly what we expect him to against Tiago Moises. He takes him down seemingly at will. He even looks probably a little bit better on the feet than Tiago Moises. And, of course, he gets the rear naked choke in the fourth round. I'll ask you this. Uh, you know, going into this fight, a lot of people high on Islam Makachev, myself included. Did you feel like any of that stock went up with a fight with Tiago Moises, though? Um, so here, here's the thing. Uh, again... You know, Islam has so much hype behind him, obviously, from, like, you know, Khabib and, and DC. Obviously, the, I think the two big names that are really hyping him out. And the region that he comes from, um, he fought Tiago Moises. But, again, like, according to a lot of, of, you know, sources, a lot of people are not lining up to fight Islam. So he fought who he could who he could fight, who was offered, who had signed the bout agreement. So you can't fault him there. I do have a buddy that trains and was in Tiago Moises' camp for this fight. And all he talked about was how good Tiago Moises' hips were, how good his jiu-jitsu is, how strong he is. So, you know, I'm taking my buddy's word for it, and I'm like, all right, well, you know, maybe Tiago Moises has a chance. And for, for Islam to go out there and just dominate and finish it on the ground, I thought just his pressure was excellent. Moises could never get anything going. Um, on the ground, it was obviously like quicksand. He timed his takedowns well. Uh, I was impressed with with Islam. I don't know how much it raises his stock, but I think it at least keeps his stock on par with where you know we think he's trending. That's true. I, I think yeah, it was it was always going to be hard against Tiago Moises because he is the guy, like you said, signed on the dotted line, but he's ranked 14th, fighting the number nine guy in the world. And a lot of people think that that nine is is probably underrating Islam Makhachev, right? Like, most people think he's probably a lot closer to the top five than the numbers suggest. And a lot of the reason is, is because he's fighting guys like Tiago Moises fairly regularly, right? Like, he's he's not getting the big name because uh, nobody seems to be able to sign on the dotted line. He even mentioned that in the post-fight, that, like, n- nobody's lining up to fight this dude. Nobody's calling him out. No- nobody's saying yes. Uh, uh, do you feel like though that this win does enough that like he's going to draw one of those big names? He's going to draw Benil Dariush, or he's going to draw you know Justin Gaethje, or he's going to draw like, or is he still kind of stuck in no man's land here? No, I think he is going to get a big fight. And you know the crazy thing is like generally if you look at a fight between a nine and fourteen guy, like obviously if the number nine guy wins, he's going to move up. But, you know, I said this on my podcast last week. Islam, I think, is in a position where even though he's number nine, I think a win probably gets him any fight in the top five, maybe aside from the next title shot. So uh, I do think he can get a fight with a Benio Darius or any of those guys. And I think a lot of those fights are very, very interesting. And, uh, yeah, you don't generally see that from a number nine guy winning by having the opportunity to fight just about anyone in the division. Yeah, and I think that big jump makes sense too, right? Like it, for him to be able to go from 14 to 3 or 4-2 because, you know, you've said not a lot of people are signing up to fight him. This is his, right now, if you look at the UFC rankings, this is the only ranked guy he's beat. You know, like he's not gotten a chance to fight anybody. So 
yeah, like, it's not like his results weren't showing he belonged here. He beat Davi Hamosh and Armand Sakurian and Gleason Tebow and Drew Dober. And, like, he's beating good guys. But, like, I think a lot of people on that voting panel probably hold him back for not having a ranked win. And now at least he's got that. Um, yeah, so maybe he is in line to fight one of those guys. But I will say... I don't think it was ever the UFC holding him back from fighting those guys, right? Because with the promo packages, with DC talking, with, with uh, you know, like you said, Habib is, is hyping him up, is just as good as he is, maybe even better. And, like, with all of that on the, the table, like, I think the UFC wants to cash in on it. So for them to not have anybody for him to fight, it feels like everybody's saying no, right? Like, everybody's running scared. He even seems to hint that. I don't know that that changes with this fight, though, right? Like, unless his the number next to his name looks way better, or unless people maybe see him as a, like, a beating him would do a lot for their career. But do you feel like beating Islam Makachev would do a lot for, let, let's let's use Justin Gaethje's name again. Would it do a lot for Justin Gaethje's career? I, I do think so. And, and why I think so, I think because he is so closely linked to Habib. I think that... And again, I was, you know, I had this stance prior, and it's changed a little bit, but when I, when I had an inkling that Khabib might come back, I linked Islam to that, because I felt like if you were the guy to take out Islam and then get on the mic and call out Habib, that might have been the one to get him back. Now, my stance has changed. I don't think Habib is ever coming back whether you beat Islam or not, but I do think the close link... Habib and the hype that's put on him, and obviously the UFC is invested in him. I think after this win, and again, it's over Tiago Moises, the number 14 guy. It's not like he beat the number 3 guy, but I do think, I think there's enough there that guys are going, they're going to need to fight him, right? Because they can't just keep giving Islam Makachev guys ranked below him or not ranked anymore. It's time for him to step up. I think the UFC knows that, and I think guys are going to have to sign to fight him now. I think you're right, too, and you make an interesting point about that being that link to Habib and, like, getting one more chance to, like, call out Habib even though he is retired and seemingly seemingly a bit heavier, right? Like, he, he looks pretty chunky. Oh, he's, yeah, dude, he, he's, he is eating well. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. I don't think we're ever going to see Habib again, but if somebody were to be the one to say, you know, they wanted a second chance at Habib and would take that Islam fight to, like, sort of call him out, I, I think, you know, and I don't mean to keep throwing the name around, but Justin Gaethje seems like the right person for that. He he kind of looked like a fish out of water fighting Habib. It was really one of his very worst performances in his whole MMA career, and, and granted, that, that's how a lot of people look at, against Habib, but... You know, like, I don't see Poye going and looking for the Makachev fight, but you might see somebody like Gaethje. So, yeah, I, I guess, uh, man, I, I guess I'll just throw it up to you. I've said Gaethje's name about 700 times, but who would you like to see your choice? You could book him against anybody, and they have to say yes. Who would you book Avalon Makachev with next? So, a couple fights ago, I think the real fight to make was Tony versus Islam. I just think there was so much there because, obviously, Habib and Tony were scheduled, what, five, six times? It never happened. I know Islam was campaigning for that, but right now, here's the thing. It's like, again, like, I know Tony is ranked ahead of him. Well, he's ranked fifth still, which is kind of crazy, but Tony's on a three-fight losing streak. He's not looked good right now. I don't think the Tony fight would be great for Islam. I do. The two names I like... Dude, 
I know Justin Gaethje would be a great fight, but I need to see Justin Gaethje fight Michael Chandler. Yeah, me too. That's, yeah. The, that's <laughs> the only one for me. So the two names I'm looking at, I think Benil Dariush needs a win, and I think that stylistic matchup with Dariush's explosiveness and his wrestling would be excellent. And also, I know they were scheduled before, but Rafael Dos Anjos would be a really interesting matchup. So for me, those are the two I'd like to see. Yeah, I, I like both of those, too, because they both bring kind of a fun style matchup, right? RDA with enough wrestling there that would at least make it interesting. And, and you know, like, I mean, he was the champ. He is looking to catapult himself, like, sort of ahead of some of those other names that we just mentioned, the Michael Chandlers and the the Justin Gaethys. And, like, a win over Islam might put him a little bit closer to that title shot um and maybe even leapfrog some of those guys and and I agree with you on Dariush I I think Makachev is a nightmare matchup for a lot of people but I think he's really a nightmare matchup for Benil Dariush I I think he just flatlined him in a bad way um not not that Dariush's hands haven't gotten better but I think he stings him on the feet I think he just grinds him on the ground and Dariush off of his back isn't going to give him too much so uh, I, I think I like the RDA fight better. I will also say this. If people are going to keep ducking him and he winds up taking a fight with a lower-ranked guy, I'd love to see him fight Gregor Gillespie. Um, yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah, because Gregor Gillespie, you know, you mentioned stylistic fun is kind of what we're looking for here. I, I think Gregor Gillespie, despite being lower-ranked and having that weird knockout loss to, to Kevin Lee, I, I think he poses a lot of interesting challenges for Makachev, too, right? Because he is... He's that wrestler, you know, and, and they were talking about whether or not, you know, Michael Chandler could stuff his takedowns during the broadcast, mostly because I think Michael Chiesa was having fun pushing his buttons. But, like, if if Michael Chandler's wrestling interests you against Makachev, well, Gregor Gillespie should really interest you against uh, Makachev, too, because his is pretty damn good. So, yeah, I, I like him, too. Um, so, yeah, any of those three matchups, and really anybody in the top 15 against Makachev right now, is probably going to sell or headline a, a fight night. So, uh, I can't imagine he's all that hurt, so line him up with another fight soon, and we'll be excited to see him. Um, of course, oh, and I, I didn't even run down the numbers for this past week, which foolish me, because me and Jeff absolutely hit this card out of the ballpark. Uh, let me quickly run down, because we both had Islam Makachev to win, despite the fact he was a massive favorite, and you would not have made much money off of him. Jeff this week went 9-1, and one, uh, which means if he had bet $100 on every single fight, he would have won $473.27, so a huge night for him. A little bit worse night for me, I went 8-2, and two, 351.04 would have been the profit on $100 per bet, so big nights for both of us. Uh, both of our records move up, he's now up to 56% hit rate, mine is 53 course the monetary side of that when you're betting every single fight still doesn't look all that good but uh with big winning nights for both of us so just wanted to make sure we threw that in there before we moved any further into the show um you know we we could talk about what's next for Tiago Moises but like hey it's the lightweight division he was ranked 14th I got to imagine this probably drops him out not because a loss to Islam Makachev really sucks but like he can fight anybody right on that edge of the top 15 the Armand Sakurians of the world or the Rafael Fizyevs like those guys are always looking for a fight and and he can snatch up any single one of those so um we'll keep our eyes out for that and him being rebooked as well uh let's talk about the co-main events uh women's bantamweight fight between Misha Tate and Marianne Renault Renault was on a four-fight losing streak. She had mentioned that this was her retirement fight. She gets one more right off into the sunset against Misha Tate. 
Tate looked incredible. Uh, you know, she she looked like she had improved boxing. You know, e- even just physically, she looked a lot better. She looked, um, I, I don't know, more muscular, but like not like bulky muscular. She looked more tone, um, and, and she looked faster in there to some extent. And granted, there was a little bit of rust early on, but. She, she looked great. She got a whole bunch of takedowns. She wins the fight by TKO uh, in the middle of the third round. Let, let's start on this. Uh, give me your initial thoughts just on Misha Tate's return and how serious of a contender you think she might be. Going in, I was a, I was a little bit nervous. Again, I'm a big Misha Tate fan. Um, she took, what, five-plus years off. Her head wasn't in the game, really. She had two kids. So going in... I was excited for her comeback, but, but again, it was, you know, a cautious excitement. And I, like you said, I, th- I think you said it perfectly. I thought she looked a little bit rusty early, but when she got the ball rolling and she got her feet set in there and, and everything started working on all cylinders, I thought she looked great. I mean, I thought she controlled well. Like you said, I thought her boxing looked improved. I mean, the takedowns are always there. The ground and pound looked great. Um, I mean, listen, if her head is on right and she's focused – I think she's a I think she's a contender at the, in that division. Again, that's a division that needs big names. I mean, Amanda Nunes is just chewing them up, spitting them out at bantamweight and featherweight. Um, I think Misha is a fun name and a fun addition to that division. And the way she looked last night, um, I think she's I think she is a serious player there. Yeah, and I, th- I think you made two really good points there. One about the headspace. I, I was also worried about the headspace, right? Because if you retire from the sport, saying you're just not there anymore, and five years later you're you're claiming that you are there again. I I want to trust you, you know, no matter who you are, especially if it's somebody like Misha Tate, who is, you know, she's damn good. She was always fun to watch. Whether you were, you know, Team Misha or Team Ronda, you always wanted to see Misha fight because she's super exciting to watch. So, uh, yeah, like. I wanted to believe her in the worst way, but, like, you always have to have skepticism there. And, and it did seem like she was in a good spot. So, you know, she didn't make any, like, weird decisions about when to grapple or to not shoot a takedown at any point in time. And it seemed like the coaching with Eric Nixick at, at Extreme Couture seemed to be working. So, yeah, uh, you know, all of that seemed good. And then the point you made about needing big names at Bantamweight, man, I, I don't think a truer sentence could possibly be uttered right now, right? Because, like... You got the Juliana Pena fight coming up for Amanda Nunes, and, you know, no offense to Juliana Pena, but, like, the UFC felt the need to put a second absolutely bullshit title fight on that card. Uh, uh, an, an interim championship for a guy who only won it three months ago and says he's good to fight in another three months. Not, not even three months, in two months from now he said he would fight. And so... They had to put an interim title fight on that in order to sell it. Uh, you know, like, you're you're right. Like, Amanda Nunes, not that she doesn't sell well on her own, but, like, she's got to beat somebody like Misha Tate, right? So, with that being said, do you think Misha Tate is more than, let's say, one more fight away from a title shot? Yeah, can I just also, can I take my little stab at that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That uh, interim <laughs> title fight. I mean, it's, it's, it's. I, I don't want to get too off topic, but it is ridiculous. And it's also ridiculous that you're putting an interim title fight over the greatest woman of all time, defending her title. I don't care if she's defending her title against, uh, you, know, you know, the waitress from uh, the diner down the street. She deserves to be the top bill defending the actual title. Um, but it, as far as Misha Tate, I do. She is probably one win away. 
Um, she's got the history with Amanda Nunes. She's actually got a little history with Juliana Pena, if Pena did somehow win the belt. Um, but for me, the name I'm looking at right off the rip, Holly Holm. I think there is a lot of history there. Obviously, Misha won her title over Holly Holm in a fight that she was losing for most of it. She had the incredible fifth-round submission, choked her unconscious. Um, that would be a fun one for me. Also, I think you could even match her up with, like, an Irene Aldana who, who needs a big win. Um, she had a big win last weekend. She only had the uh, mishap with the weight miss. I think those are two uh, interesting names for her. Yeah, I, I think the, the difference between those two, if um putting on my Dana White hat and pretending that I own the UFC. I, I think the risk versus reward on an Irene Aldana match is just not there for me. You know what I mean? Like, while I, I think that that is a very fun stylistic matchup, and I, I like watching Irene Aldana, if you roll Misha Tate out there and she beats Irene Aldana, I, I'm not sure that makes everybody be like, damn, give Misha the next title fight. And if she somehow loses to Irene Aldana, which I think would be a real possibility, not, not that yeah, I very, don't like... Very possible. Yeah, very not that, possible. Yeah, I like Misha Tate, but hey, she got hit a couple of times by Marion Renault, who's striking, by the way, does not look like Irene Aldana's, um, nor does she hit one-eighth as hard as Irene Aldana. If she loses that one, I'm not sure that that win does a lot for the UFC, right? Like, you could book Irene Aldana in a title fight, but she already got the shit kicked out of her by Misha Tate, and like... She like she missed weight and like would people just write off Misha Tate as kind of like washed because she couldn't beat Irene Aldana, which like five years ago she definitely would have. Like I, I think the risk there is is high for the UFC. Whereas if you run her with with Holly Holm, whoever wins and God do I not like saying give Holly Holm another title shot, but whoever wins you could book that next title shot because they're coming off of a win over a big name, you know, and and it's. It's that there's another reason to let one of them get another crack at Nunez, and reasonably so. Um, so I, I think that that one makes it. And not only that, is like, you book Misha Tate at Rini Aldana, does that headline a fight night card? Does it make it onto a pay-per-view broadcast? Probably in like the, the fourth or fifth spot. Not not that Misha Tate's not a big name, but like a fight with Rini Aldana, I just don't think sells that high. Whereas, like, I think her fighting Holly Holm in a title fight rematch would give you a co-main event on a pay-per-view with, like, one title fight on it, like a big title fight on it. I think you could headline a, a fight night card with it. I just think that that, for the UFC, from the UFC's point of view and the risk, you know, sort of management in this, I think the home fight's the right way to go. And, and I, I will say this, too. I don't think, other than the two names you mentioned... There's a whole lot of people in that division that make a lot of sense for her. Maybe, maybe Jermaine Durandamy is she is she booked with anybody? Well, so so Durandamy is not booked, and I only gave you Irene Aldana just because she came off the big win. But personally, I'm with you. I would rather. I think the Holly Holm fight makes all the sense in the world. Like you said, they could do it as a co uh, co main event on a pay per view. They could easily book it as a, as a fight night main event, five rounds. Um, I want to see Durand. Personally, I want to see Durandamy fight Aldana. I think. If you go Aldana, Durandamy, uh, Holly Holm, Misha Tate, you got the top of your division booked. Whoever looks the most impressive out of those four probably gets the next title shot. It would be Holly's, like, 80th title <laughs> shot. But here's the thing. I mean, dude, talk, we, can, we can say all we want, but Holly wins the fight she needs to aside from, obviously, winning the title. She had the Ronda Rousey fight, but after that, she kind of stumbled. 
But, uh, yeah, that's the way I would match it up. Yeah. I'd go Aldana, Durandami, Holm, Misha, boom. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'll also say this, because on Wednesday, me and Jeff will be breaking down uh, UFC Vegas 32, or one of the 80 other names that you're going to call it. Sanhagen, Dillashaw, Aspen Labs fighting on that one against Macy Chasson. If she looked really good, the risk reward might be there for a Macy Chase or for a Aspen Ladd fight. Uh, I I, kinda, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, because she's like she's like super marketable. She's like you know well spoken. She's young. People seem to like her. A win over Misha Tate, I, I think, would do amazing things for her career. So may, maybe her. Now that I'm looking at the the rankings there, like. If she were to go out and absolutely put a beat down on Macy Chason, I, I wouldn't mind the Aspen Lad fight. But yeah, uh, I, I I totally agree with you. I, I think Holmes the 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 one A matchup to definitely put in there. Um, of course, we usually talk about the losing side of these matchups too. Marion Renault don't have, need to fantasy book her. She's heading off into the sunset on five straight losses. I do want to give a quick shout out to Marion Renault though because a lot of people shitting on her. For ending her career with five losses, which, granted, there are some absolutely amazing names on that five losses. I was going to say, look at the names. Yeah, Misha Tate, Kat Zingano, Raquel Pennington, Kunitskaya, and the aforementioned Meiji Chason. So, like, and, and look, she she had never, ever, ever been finished until uh, Misha Tate just did so. So, like, an amazing career. And I feel like not enough people talk about Submission victory over Jessica Andrade, which, granted, it is at Bantamweight, and Jessica Andrade has now fought in every other weight class than Bantamweight. Um, so, like, you know, kind of crazy that she was up at Bantamweight, but a triangle choke victory over Jessica Andrade. Like, for a woman who started her fighting career at, like, I think they said she was 34 or 35 when she started fighting, like, pretty damn impressive career fighting some of the biggest names in the sport. Yeah, I- Props to Mary Renault. I think you said it beautifully. She had uh, a great career. She fought a lot of names in her career. Yeah, she lost five straight, but, uh, you know, four of those were decisions. She only got finished by Misha Tate. Um, Macy Chason won the Ultimate Fighter. Raquel Pennington fought for a belt. Kuniskaya fought for a belt. Captain Gano fought for a belt. She's also going to fight for another belt. I mean, she fought Sarah McMahon, who fought for a belt. Uh, Betsko Haya fought for a belt. I mean, yeah, yeah she... Uh, like you said, she subbed Jessica Andrade. Yeah, she put together a really nice career that, that I think we should appreciate. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to another lightweight contest, which was uh, Matthew Skrit Gamro uh, submitting Jeremy Stevens pretty damn easily. Uh, in just 65 seconds, he got a Kimura from, like, uh, you know, the, the typical – BJJ 101 Kimura position after uh, Jeremy Stevens didn't let go of his own Kimura attempt kind of early in the division or early in the fight. Rather, uh, he rotated up towards Jeremy Stevens head, ripped the arm out, put it on his back, got the tap just 65 seconds in. I thought crazy impressive. And, and I got to imagine Gamro is is knocking on the door of the top 15. What about you? Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. Again, I think uh Jeremy Stevens is going to be at whether Jeremy Stevens is winning or losing, he is always going to be a tough out for Gamro to just go out there and absolutely cut through him like a knife through butter, summon him in a minute and five seconds. I think he is, yeah, I think he's right there knocking on the top fifteen uh, guy you mentioned that is having uh, trouble getting some tough fights. Like a, a Fiziev would be a fun fight um, if you look at the back half of that. 
uh, I'm sorry, lightweight division, Armin Sarukian would be fun. Maybe even a Thiago Moises coming off a loss. Brad Riddell, yeah, there's a lot of good options for Mateus Gamero. Yeah, and we were talking off-air a little bit about Gamero, too. Like, he, he kind of has the bad fortune of being a guy who who lost his UFC debut, but, like, depending on who you are looking at that fight, I, I actually scored that fight for Gamero when he fought Garam Kutataladze. So he, he could be 3-0 in the UFC, and talking about coming off of a 65-second victory over Jeremy Stevens, which is not for anything, like, dude... Jeremy Stevens got taken down pretty regularly against Zabit Magomed Sharapov, and, like, he lasted 15 minutes against Zabit. Um, and, you know, people are talking about Zabit being, like, one of the biggest forces at featherweight. Now, granted, this is up at lightweight, and Gamro does have – he seemed to have quite a big size advantage, too. And, um, you know, his, his jiu-jitsu is a little bit more aggressive in the way that he goes for submissions, whereas Zabit's a little bit more happy to be in – certain positions and to, to dominate the positional force of things. But like, yeah, man, like I, I think he is crazy underrated in this division. I, I think, and, and you know, like we talked about giving people trouble in this division and, in you know, when, when we talked about Makachev, he's a bad matchup for a lot of people. I think Gamro is a bad matchup for a lot of people. He's like really fun on the feet. He's got great submission skills. That double leg he took down uh, Stevens with was good. Like, I could see him beating some of these people who are, you know, like, what what would you say if I told you, and granted, they're not going to book this, but, like, what would I say to you if, or what would you say to me if I said, he's going to step in on short notice and fight Dan Hooker or something like that? Would you give him a chance to beat somebody like Dan Hooker? I would. Uh, I mean, Dan Hooker would be a, a big step up, but here's the thing, and, and Ben and I kind of talked about this on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. So Dan Hooker is, like, and this is not to be, like, disparaging to Dan Hooker, but Dan, I, I, Dan Hooker is not, like, a gatekeeper, but I feel like he is, like, the perfect litmus test for the elite of the division, right? Because I think Dan Hooker can be competitive with with anybody, literally all the way up through the champion, right? I mean, he look, look at his fight with, with Dustin Poirier. That, that was an absolute war. So I think, would I give Gamera a chance against Dan Hooker? Absolutely. I think that would be a perfect litmus test. You beat a Dan Hooker. I think you can hang with the elite of the division. So, yeah, I, I would absolutely think that would be a fun, fun matchup. Yeah, that, that's a good point. He sort of works like a – almost like a Damian Maya, right? Like Damian Maya. Yeah, exactly. He, yes. he just chills at, like, number eight in the division and beats anybody who – you know, like that run of Damian Maya just, like, subbing three or four, like, unranked dudes in a row to just remind people, uh, no, yo, I, I am still really fucking good. Uh, I just keep getting beat by, like, you know, the the – Colby Covington, Savage. yeah, the Colby Covingtons and the RDAs and the the Kamar Usmans of the division. But like, meanwhile, yeah, like Lyman Good can't smell my farts, right? Like because like I'm really good at jujitsu. Or Ben Askren got subbed by him. So yeah, I, I think I, I think that that's a really good point. Is I, I think he is a great litmus test, and and it would be interesting to see him fight somebody like Gamero because you know I think. You know, we mentioned we're, we're fantasy booking Makachev a second ago. I, I think Makachev runs right through somebody like Hooker. Like, no offense to Hooker. His, his striking's really great. But if somebody were to just, like, bring the wrestling like Makachev would, I think I, I think he'd have a pretty easy time with Hooker. But Gamro might have a little bit tougher a time. I think it would be fun. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right with, with the names that you picked. I, I think uh, – 
you know, Fiziev, Sakurian, like those types of people. E- even somebody like Demir as Mulgoth, uh is like really fun to watch fight too. He's kind of been, he's had a couple of like weird long layoffs. I think he was like off by like two or three years before he came back. Um, but he would be fun to watch too. Um, I, before we, we turn this around and start talking about the middleweight fight that comes next, I, I do want to ask you about Jeremy Stevens because he is now winless in his last six fights. He's 0-5 with one no contest due to an eye poke. We're, we're talking about a guy who also uh, caught quite a bit of flack, maybe not from the UFC, but caught quite a bit of flack from the public uh, about pushing Drakkar Closa and having him removed and then some of his comments about Drakkar Closa. He's also a guy who's been in trouble with the law before. You know, I, I believe he was arrested for beating a guy up in a parking lot uh, pretty substantially. Uh, granted, this is probably 10 years ago now. Um, but is, is this the last we see of Jeremy Stevens? Or has the fact that he has, you know, I think they said on the broadcast, 32 or 33 fights. He's in that Andre Arlovsky, Jim Miller range of fights there. Does that just give him, like, the free pass to lose five in a row right here and still take another fight? Or, or do you think we're all done seeing Jeremy Stevens in the UFC? Dude, I don't know. I was, you know, and honestly, I was looking at his record before we, we started recording. And, you know, I don't know what his contract situation looks like. I don't know how many fights he has left. I mean, Jeremy Stevens debuted all the way back in 2007. Um you know, when the UFC's pay-per-view numbers are back in single digits, you know, now we're at 260, coming up on 265. Um, but if you look, you know, Jeremy Stevens hasn't won a fight since 2018. Just look at the ne- the names that he's fought in his last couple fights. I mean, Jose Aldo, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, Yair Rodriguez twice, Calvin Cater, and now the up-and-comer at Mateus Gamera. It's not like he's, yes, I think he is on the decline but it's not like he he's declining and also losing to to lesser competition. I mean, he's still fighting the best. I think Jeremy Stevens still has a place in the UFC as like one of those litmus test guys. Where yeah, he's not the best guy in the world. He never was, but man, he's still going to give you a tough out most nights. Um, so I still think he has a place. If I had to lean, I would lean on him getting at least another fight in the UFC, but I really don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's it's going to be an interesting call. Of course, he's you're right. He's fought phenomenal competition. Matt Holloway, Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo, Zabit, Yair. Gamro does seem like it was a little bit of a step back, almost in, in like a test to see like, oh, okay, how far down is he? Um, it, you know, the... They don't launch the or they don't they don't disclose the paydays anymore. But the estimated payday, which MMA Dash Manifesto runs uh, each and every time based on typical contract structure, estimated that he made sixty seven to show and was going to make sixty seven to win. So he's not really breaking the bank either, right? Like Andre Orlovsky, I think somebody said is is roaming around the like two hundred thousand to show right now kind of number. Oh, I I would guess even more than that. I would honestly have guessed more that more from Jeremy Stevens than sixty seven grand for him being in the UFC for what? A uh, hundred years? Since, I, since years, I was in yeah. high school, dude. I was in right, high exactly. school when he made the exactly. UFC. So, yeah, I, I would have expected higher, too. Um, and, and, you know, of course, these are just estimated based on, like I said, the typical pay structure right. and, and what goes down uh, with wins and losses. And, of course, he's got a bunch of losses in a row, so yes. that probably doesn't help. But, 
Yeah, like, if, if that number is correct or is accurate, like, I, I do think he gets another shot, too, uh, mostly just because that's you're not breaking the bank paying Jeremy Stevens 67 to show and, and probably losing against an up-and-comer and being, you know, he's not a name that sells cards, but people get excited for Jeremy Stevens' fight. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him again. Um, let's talk about a middleweight contest next, Rodolfo Vieira. Uh, but before we get to that, let me quickly mention... UnderdogFantasy.com. Make sure to head on over to UnderdogFantasy.com. Use promo code SGPN for a free $25 entry into the Best Ball 2 Mania contest where you can win a million dollars. Download the app today, UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. And while we're talking to you about apps, also, it is good to note that SGPN is now got their own app in the App Store and the Google Play Store, so make sure you download that. The app gives you access to all of our picks and podcasts in a nice and easy format. So don't forget to toss us an app review and download the SGPN app today. Now, uh, as I mentioned, let's talk a little bit about Rodolfo Vieira versus Dustin Stoltzfus, which is maybe one of my favorite names in the UFC to say. The big story in this one, I guess, just is Rodolfo Vieira. Um, You know, the, the broadcast seemed to make a big deal about his mental state and what he what he seems to be able to do in there and whether or not he's, I mean, I think DC said the words, he seems like he's freaking out in there. Do you think the UFC was making too big of a deal of that? Or do you think there is something to the Rodolfo Vieta has cage jitters kind of narrative? I think they were, they were making a little bit too big of a deal out of it. I didn't think he was like necessarily freaking out. Um, I mean, listen, Stolt Foods is a. Did I say that right? Stolt Boost? That's yeah, a, I think yeah, you. I think you got very it. interesting. Name. <laughs> it's Amish um, too, right? Did, did they say on the broadcast both of his parents are Amish and he just like left the? I don't want to be insensitive. Amish hood or left left the community, um, but I believe it's an Amish name, a Pennsylvania Dutch Amish name. <laughs> Yeah, interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I think they made a little bit too big of a deal out of it. I think Stufos is a good fighter with with uh, very versatile striking. Um, and again, I, th- I thought I thought Rodolfo looked pretty damn good in there. I I think he definitely has some holes. He has a lot of things to work on, but I thought it was a very honest and hard earned performance. I didn't necessarily think he was uh, all that jittery. Where they you know they were they were needing to to make points of it as much as they did. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. And it also seemed like, too, you know, they mentioned his coaching, his head coaching situation changed. He, he changed his head coach to a karate head coach from a jiu-jitsu head coach or slash all-around MMA head coach because he wanted to work on his striking. And I, I think you saw, like, a concerted effort for him to work on his striking here because, I mean, like, yeah, you can say he gassed out against Anthony Hernandez and that's what cost him that fight. But really, what a lot of what cost him that fight was... When he's standing, he he was pretty much, you know, not even one-dimensional when he was standing. He was, you know, like a big shot and then a big double-leg takedown, a big shot and then a double-leg takedown. He was working really well behind the jab here. It seemed like he maybe broke Stoltfus's nose. Um, I think if he continues to get better on the striking, uh, you know, like who knows where we might see him. But I, I will say, you know, it is a little bit concerning that he is, you know, he's already 31. He's not particularly young for the UFC. But, um, you know, the fact that he is working on the holes in his game, I, I think, yeah, I, I think we could definitely see Rodolfo Fieda make a, a little bit of a run here. But um, Stolfoot's game is hell. Would love to see him back in there again. But, um, yeah. 
overall, very happy with Rudolfo Vieta. Another person I was really happy with, uh, Featherweight Contest came before that, kicked off the uh, main card, not the pay-per-view, main card, Billy Quarantillo not only beat Gabriel, oh, hang on, wait one second, before we finish talking about Rodolfo Vieira, I'm just going to, the back take, can we talk about the back take for two seconds? Yes, beautiful. Beautiful, like, nothing more needs to be said than that, other than, like, if you didn't watch Rodolfo Vieira jump on Dustin Stoltfus's back and instantly have it cling-wrapped so tight that it looked like, oh, you're like, oh, this is over the minute he's on there, uh, like, Beautiful. And then he gets the tap on the way down. Uh, classic. Anyway, back to my point. Uh, Billy Quarantillo uh, not only beat Gabriel Benitez, but absolutely took it to the guy. Um, you know, touched him up standing. You know, great uh, triangle from the back that he was constantly locking up on, a body triangle locking up on Gabriel Benitez. What did you think about the stoppage, though? That's a question I have because we, we're going to talk about a stoppage in a little bit with Amanda Lemos. What do you think about them calling this fight here with Gabriel Benitez and Billy Quarantillo? And for those of you who didn't see it, he was hitting him with strikes while on his back. Uh, and granted, he was in a body triangle, but from his back, you know, on on Benitez's back. Do, do you think that's a good stoppage? Um, uh, again, yeah, I say it a lot. I think the referee has one of the toughest jobs in the sport. Um, Benitez's eye was, was in very, very rough shape. Actually, both of his eyes were pretty cut up, but that left eye was all sorts of swollen up. Uh, yeah, the position was a little bit weird because, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't like he had Benitez, like, fully, like, flattened out, just, like, pounding away from him, right? He was no, kind of, like... he was on his back. Like, like, like... Yeah. Quarantilla was laying down on his own back. And granted, exactly. he did have the body triangle in, but, like, he didn't have any leverage, Right. Yeah. So it, yeah, exactly. So it's not like he had him flattened out, just like where he had a ton of like torque on his punches, just like laying away. Uh, it was a little bit. It, it was a little bit strange, but I didn't necessarily have all that much of a problem with it. I thought Quarantillo did a lot of really good work in the fight. You know, obviously he lumped up, beating his eye quick. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have all that much problem with it. But again, like the positioning was a little bit weird. Yeah, and I think the only thing that makes it okay for me in the ref's eyes is that, like, he he shouted out, I need to see something from you, Benitez, and then, like, Benitez just didn't move. Um, okay, which, can I can I add this as well? Yeah, though? yeah. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off. But, like, let, like, let's say Benitez's eye wasn't all, like, swollen up and he wasn't all bloodied up. If that wasn't the case and then they stopped it, I think that's why I'm more like, okay, like, I don't have that much of a problem with it because he was all lumped up. His eye was all swollen shut. But, like, yeah, if, if his face was all fresh and he wasn't getting beaten up that bad, yeah, I would have had more problem with it. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, too. I, and I maybe hadn't even thought about the damage. But, like, it, it's worth mentioning, too, because the ref even said to him going into the round, your eye is bad. If you don't protect it, I'm going to call this. Uh, and then, like, later on he yells, you got to do something, you got to do something. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, combine those two things. I don't think the stoppage is all that bad. It's a huge win for for Billy Quarantillo, though, who's a guy who I think a lot of people were high on. A lot of people thought this dude was a you know a good guy in this division. He got badly out wrestled by Gavin Tucker last time out, so this is a big comeback for him. Uh, I think people are excited to see him. Of course, it, it, the loss is 
pretty devastating for Benitez, not just being that he lost to uh, an up-and-comer at this point in time in his career, but also just being beaten so badly. Um, speaking of being beaten badly, Daniel Rodriguez put an absolute beat down on Preston Parsons, who looked like he might get the gr- the fight to the ground. And I, I think, you know, I, I talked about it on the premium primary. If Preston Parsons could get the fight to the ground, it might be interesting. If he doesn't, he was going to get pieced up. Uh, any big thoughts on Daniel Rodriguez before we move on? I, I really I really like Andy Rodriguez. I think yeah. he has a really fun skill set. He's a banger on the feet, and I thought he actually showed some pretty pretty good grappling in this fight. So yeah, I'm, I'm very high on him. I want to see him matched with all of the fun guys at <laughs> at welterweight. You know, I know we don't do matchmaking all that often for guys on the prelims, but like, dude, like him versus Michelle Pereira, dude, I was. Literally stole stole the words right out of <laughs> yeah, my mouth. Yeah, yes. it would be yes. so dumb, and like it would be so good. Like, um, I also think him versus, and, and not to say that he needs a ranked opponent next, because like you know his record might warrant a ranked opponent. He's he's coming off of, I guess he's got in the UFC, he's five and one with only like a somewhat questionable loss to Nicholas Dalby. He beat the hell out of Mike Perry. Now he's beaten the the hell out of Parsons and got him out there in the first round. But, like, I would watch him fight Ponzinibbio, and I, I think it would be not the easiest fight in the world to call, right? Ponzinibbio, super fun striker, can take a Absolutely. punch. Yeah, that that would be fun. But, yeah, I, I think it, Dan, Daniel Rodriguez needs to be matched up with more people who will give him fun matchups like Michelle Pereira's. And, and like, the Mike Perry booking was really good, too. Mike Perry was just willing to bang with him. You know, another, speaking of Ponsonibia, another fun name. I know he's coming off a loss of Ponsonibia, but Miguel Baeza. Oh, yeah. a fun fight for Danny Rodriguez. Absolutely, yeah. Miguel Baeza, and again, he might be looking for somebody coming off of a win because Baeza's coming off a loss. But, I mean, Baeza, is, his stock is way higher than saying, like, be a guy coming off of a loss. Because he's an incredible prospect. And, hey, Daniel Rodriguez, again... You know, I said this about Rodolfo Vieira, not the youngest guy. He's he's actually 34. So if he does, if his aspirations are to be a, a high-level guy in the UFC, he's probably got to get a move on. So guys like Baeza and Pereira and, and uh, Ponzinibbio would probably be the type he was looking for. Uh, and in speaking of stock going way up, women's strawweight fight, Amanda Lemos takes only 35 seconds to stop Montserrat Canejo Ruiz. Um, she landed some some pretty great striking as Canejo was seemingly trying to blitz her with with some sloppiness and leaving her chin up in the air. And Lemos made her pay bad. She stung her once really hard. She dropped. She followed it up with a hammer fist that seemed like it maybe partially landed. The ref tackled her mid hammer fist, so I guess you can't blame her too much for not having it landed. The internet seemed pretty split on this one. If you were on Twitter, either people were outraged by this stoppage or they were, like, telling other people to stop being outraged. There was really no middle ground. Uh, like you, you've constantly said, the referee's got a tough job, but with the hindsight being twenty twenty, what do you think about this stoppage? Uh, again, I didn't really have a, that much of a problem with that. I thought Lemos looked very good. I mean, to Floored, Montserrat, and again, this is like... Dude, this might be my favorite division in all of MMA. It's just constantly producing great fights and great fighters. And, uh, dude, I mean, she's got she's got two really solid wins in a row. This stoppage and then uh, beating Livia Renata Souza, who I'm pretty damn high on in her last fight, stopping her as well. Um, look out for Amanda Lemos, man. 
Yeah, and when in you know you mentioned the the big over Su- the big win over Suzu, she beat Mizuki in a way before that. Who again? She sure too. Another person I'm high on. She she submitted or choked out Miranda Granger cold before that. And granted, we're we're talking about like a year and a half ago now, but that's a hell of a four fight winning streak for Amanda Lemos. I, I also thought the stoppage was good. The the ref after he waves it off, uh, you know he. First of all, he pushes Lemos, then he waves in, in Ruiz's face, and she's still, like, squared off like she's getting ready to punch, like like her brain hasn't been able to told, tell her she could put her hands down yet. Um, so, like, I, I think she was out of there, whether or not she was in there or not. There's no reason for her to eat another 30 Amanda Lemos punches. And I, right, I think that's, exactly. And I think that's probably what we were about to see. And, and, you know, you can say what you want, but at least he didn't do what Herb Dean did that time where, who did he let take an absolute beating? What what women's strawweight did he let take? Oh, um, when Marina Rodriguez beat the hell out of uh, the girl with the really high pitched voice, who has name on, is escaping me right now. Um, why? Am, oh, why can't I, I know? I know who you're talking about too. She's the one who goes hello. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna look it up right now because I'm pissed that I can't remember her name for some reason. Uh, Amanda Hibas. Amanda Hibas. Yeah, yeah when he Hibas. when he let uh, Amanda Hebas get up, despite the fact he had basically stopped the fight, Marina Rodriguez went in and just blast her three more times. I think we were probably pretty close to seeing that again, and yeah, and, and there's yeah. no reason for that. I'm, I just rewatched it, like as we're speaking. I mean, she she clocks her right. She knocks her down with another punch. Canejo gets up, but she like. Yeah, she puts her hands up, but she's like stumbling back. It, yeah. I got no problem with that stoppage. Yeah, she yeah, looks like she's gonna. Again, she looks like she's gonna fight Tyone. She she looks like she's gonna punch him. <laughs> and she's not even as she's about to fight him. She's not even. She's not even all there to fight him. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I got no problem with it. Yeah, and it, yeah. When I say she's about to fight him, I don't even mean like she's about to fight him because she's mad about the stoppage. She's about to fight him like she doesn't know that he's not exactly. Amanda Lemos, which is uh, probably a problem. Now. You know, I usually like talking about this, too. The UFC decided on this fight card to give uh, six bonuses. You know, two guys get fight of the night. They wind up giving out four for performance of the night. How surprised are you that the name Amanda Lemos is not one of those six people walking home with an extra 50K? Uh, Very surprised. I mean, she literally had a 35-second knockout over... Montserrat Ruiz, who I, I think a lot of people are pretty damn high on. I mean, she was ten and one coming into this fight. Uh, yeah, I was I was uh, quite surprised that she was not one of the ones receiving a bonus. But I mean, there was there was some some competition on this card. Let me. So, so let me let me run down for you the ones yeah, you yeah, get. So, you so Billy Quarantillo versus Gabriel Benitez wins fight of the night. Which no problem with that. I, I'm I'm mostly no problem with that. I will say. It was pretty one-sided. Sometimes, it was, the, yeah, it was one-sided. Sometimes when the fight of the night is like, you know, no offense to Calvin Cater, Calvin Cater versus Max Holloway, not a fight of the night for for my money. It's a performance of the night, um, and I sort of felt the same way about Billy Quarantillo, with the exception of the fact that Benitez did drop him in the third. So I guess that's that's worthy of a little bit of a back and forth action. The four performances of the nights go to uh, Misha Tate, Rodolfo Vieta. Matrus Gamro, who we've all talked about, and then the one we haven't talked about yet is Rodrigo Nascimento. Uh, in the the first opening prelim, which I guess we can transition to right now, he gets beat up pretty bad by Alan Baudot in the first round. Looks kind of not so good striking, and then he gets a TKO against like a kind of exhausted Baudot. 
that that's and maybe it's the the Dana White favoritism towards weird fat heavyweights who usually kick off cards, but like does, that that seems like a weird one to win a bonus other than Amanda Lemos. Am I wrong? Yeah, I, I would have I would have swapped Lemos and uh, Nascimento there. Not saying his his performance and his stoppage wasn't excellent, but uh, yeah, dude, thirty five seconds over over Montserrat Ruiz, who I still think is a stud in her own right, I think would have deserved it more, but I mean, you're kind of picking the straws here, I guess. Yeah, and I should <laughs> I should note, because if I don't note, uh, he will make a huge point of it during the next show. Uh, this is the only fight where me and Jeff differed on this card. Uh, I took Montserrat Ruiz mostly because I liked the big fat number and because I once picked her as a plus 275 underdog against Cheyenne Bays, and she helped me out, so when I saw a plus 400, <laughs> uh, I had to Maintain my loyalty, and it cost me very dearly because she got squished. Um, the only other two fights on here are the two decisions. Uh, we'll run through those kind of rapid fire. Sergey Morozov, Beakley Taha, mostly through really good clinch wrestling, uh, ripping him down to the ground kind of at will. Um, not much else to say other than, uh, you know, Taha going in there with, with big swinging, but not much doing. Uh, Morozov, actually an underdog in this fight, looked pretty damn good. Yeah, I thought he looked. I thought he looked good as well. Uh, Presser performance really mixed in his wrestling well. Uh, Kalita is pretty damn good too. So I thought it was an impressive win for uh, Sergey Morozov. And a nice bounce back win, having lost his debut to Umar Nurmagomedov, which I, I don't think no shame in that. Yeah, no, <laughs> nobody's judging him for that. But uh, you know, when you, you could have a lot of hype coming in as the M1 champion, and then you lose to uh, a Nurmagomedov, no matter which one it is, uh, that kind of sucks. So uh, Morozov gets in, on the right tracks, and the last. Last and final fight that we can talk about, uh, another guy getting on the right track, Malcolm Gordon, after losing his first two fights in the UFC, takes a decision over Francisco Figueredo, 30-27, 29-28, um, I think the two judges who gave Figueredo a round both gave him the uh, first, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and... I don't know about you. This is another underdog who won that uh, in, in the other fight that I got wrong in this one, and actually the only one that Jeff got wrong. I was pretty shocked at how I don't I don't know. Do, do you think good wrestling of Malcolm Gordon or bad takedown defense of Francisco Figueredo? I think I think a little bit of both, man. Honestly, um, but yeah, it, it, nonetheless, impressive by Malcolm Gordon again. Whether it's you know whichever side you lean, he's the one that went out there and put it on Francisco Figueredo. And, you know, he was coming off of two straight losses, so this was a nice bounce back win for him. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it probably saves his career right there, or at least his UFC career there. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he, you can't go on three and, and lose to a guy who's only one and zero and keep your job here. And, and for for the record, you know, I, I kind of think they were throwing him in there to build up Figueredo, and uh, it just it just doesn't work out for him. So that's uh, that's gonna put a pin in UFC Vegas thirty one. Uh, heck of a good card, you know. Obviously, a good night for me and Jeff on the betting books. Uh, we are transitioning this week to UFC Vegas thirty two. Dillashaw versus Sanhagen. We do have a little bit of time left here, so let me get your early take on this. Dillashaw Sanhagen. You haven't gotten a whole lot of time to think about it, but what do you think about this one? Man, it is a really freaking good fight. Uh, Sanhagen has looked excellent as of late. And obviously, you know, here's the thing. Like, Dillashaw, his run as champion was awesome, but that last little bit, it was rough for him. Obviously, 
He goes down to 125, which I don't think that was the smartest move to begin with. Terrible, he gets stopped by Scudo. <laughs> gets right. He gets pop for EPO. Um, gets no sympathy from from really fans. He's out for two years. He's now 30. What five years old? 30. Was he 35? 36? I want to say. Uh, the intern says 35 years old. He turned 35 in February. So it's you know there's a lot of questions on the Dillashaw side. Right, and that I think is where the intrigue is because this win would be huge for Sanhagen. We've seen a lot of Sanhagen recently. I mean, he's looked excellent stopping Marlon Marais and Frankie Edgar. The Frankie Edgar uh, knockout is incredible. It's incredible. I, I, I don't like to talk about. I, it. I don't like to talk about it, but Frankie. I will say this. It, and this like is that. This, I'm going to bring up another <laughs> knockout that is going to really bum you out too. Uh, I rank that higher than the Masvidal one. Uh, the Masvidal knocking out Ben Askren, which I know, again, is going to hurt you because you love Ben Askren too. But, like, I ranked the, the, the Corey Sanhagen one better because, like, he drew Frankie into that knee. Whereas, yes, like, yeah. whereas Masvidal knew Ben Askren is going to come out and wrestle me, so I'm just going to run at him and knee him. The, the, the strategy behind that, pretty obvious, right? Like, that that's what people should have done to Ben Askren sometimes maybe. And, like... But to get Frankie Edgar, who's like both a talented striker and a grappler, to eat that knee and to walk it off too, not you know no follow up shots needed. He just continued walking. Incredible. So yeah, great great run. Sorry to bring up uh, two terrible heartstring moments for you, <laughs> but uh, I, I had to make that comparison. Yeah. So so go. I, it's okay, man. And, and going back, <laughs> that, that is the sport we love, right? Yeah. Yeah. Going going back really quick. I, if if I had to lean. I would lean Sandhagen, obviously, because just just recency, we've seen more of him. We've seen more good from him. I have no idea what Dillashaw's headspace is going to be like, uh, if there's going to be any ring rust or anything. But uh, it's intriguing. I'm super glad it's five rounds. And I think for either guy, man, I think if Sandhagen wins, there's no way you can deny him a title shot. And if Dillashaw wins, man, he, he injects himself right into the top of that division. So a lot of high stakes. Love the matchmaking. All right, I gotta ask you because this is either the best slip of the tongue ever or uh, a very cleverly po- positioned pun on your part. Did you mean to say T.J. Dillashaw injects himself into the top of the division? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I get it, but now that you say it, I, uh, yeah, I. I I get where you're going with this one. No, I, I did not say that intentionally, but it does make a lot of sense. Right? That is that is uh, beautiful, by the way. You know what, man? I should I should have just taken the credit, but like, yeah, I'm that slick. It is it is a beautiful, if accidental, pun uh, that he injects himself. That I also say we'll say this before we put this one to bed. Do you feel like the comeback, like, uh, videos and packages, and like he's been through so much for T.J. Dillashaw, are a little weird and off-putting? Yeah, they are considering you know why he's yeah, why he's been gone. He didn't get in a car man. accident. His yeah, mom, exactly. his mom didn't die. Like he 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 injected well, he, illegal yeah. steroids into his body. Like yeah, it's just yes. like uh, very weird. Anyway, well that just about does it uh, with episode fifty six. Once again, uh, just a quick reminder to you guys to make sure that you check out the show and all of our writings at thesportsgamblingpodcast.com. You, of course, want to subscribe to the MMA Gambling specific feed if you're listening to this right now on the regular SGPN feed. We will not be here forever. We are going out onto our own feed, which already exists, and you may already be listening to it. Um, If you are not listening to it in that feed, make sure you go subscribe, leave us a comment and a five-star rating if you think we earned it. 
uh, because we do appreciate those and we appreciate that you will continue to follow us after we leave the actual SGPN feed. And of course, while you're following things, also make sure to follow me on Twitter at Gumby Vreeland and my temporary co-host for the day, Kurt Chase Patrick at KCPKO. And of course, you can subscribe and like both of our podcasts as well. You can check me out on the Top Turtle MMA podcast each and every week, as well as the Prelim Primer, which is all in the same convenient feed. So check both of those out. And of course, you can follow him as well on his podcast, the Fix Fights Podcast with Kurt and Ben. Uh, and you can follow that on Twitter as well, at Fix Fights Pod. Kurt, thanks so much for taking the time again out. Yes, sir, man. I always appreciate it. It's fun talking fights with you. It sure is. And once again, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He is Kurt Chase Patrick, and we will catch you next week.